you get all that information about me? But it's on our website, isn't it? I should go and look at our website every once in a while. Uh, good. Well, first off, let me just say thank you for the privilege of being here. What a joy it is to serve you. And sisters, thank you for serving us in song this morning. Um, and we're so thankful for this church, so thankful. Uh, you should know your pastor loves you. He speaks of you often. Uh, and, uh, and I love the example that you guys set in the way of coming out uh, in the mornings to go and walk the block and evangelize. Man, just love that spirit, love that uh, desire. And uh, yeah, so Restoration Church up in the other side of town at Ward 3, kind of the opposite corners of the city. We're so thankful for your work. We pray for you often. Um, matter of fact, this morning, we didn't pray for uh, you guys this morning. We prayed for, um, yeah, a number of other churches, some nearby churches. Uh, Lord willing, me and my family will be up next week at daybreak um, serving with, some, uh, with those folks. We have a great partnership with Mercy of Christ Fellowship. Anyway, I'm just thankful for your work. I'm thankful that we get to partner together for the sake of the gospel in this city that needs the gospel, right? And so, anyway, just grateful for the opportunity to serve and serve you this morning uh, in the Word. Let me pray for us. We're going to dive right in. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this church. Thank You for the hope of the gospel. And thank You for the hope of heaven. Lead us into Your Word now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, about four years ago, Restoration Church, Whitney was one of those ones that allowed me and my family to take a sabbatical. So we took some time away. It wasn't just a week or two. So I would encourage you guys in about, I don't know, six years or so from now, let Josh go away for a time, not just a week or two. Praise the Lord for that. But uh, they were kind enough to give me and my family about two months away. And uh, over the course of that time away from the church, we went to... Uh, we went to Florida and worshiped with another church and just sat in that community. Uh, I don't like the cold, so we went to Florida. I found the warmest place in the United States. No kidding. This is exactly what I did. found the warmest place in the United States, and I went there in the dead of winter. It was awesome. Uh, so that's, that was our plan. But that was where we split. But when I was there, what I did was Monday to Friday, I would take um, a, a few hours in the morning, Monday to Friday, to just study the New Testament's use of the hope of heaven. That's what I did. So what I would do, I'd read, a, I'd read a couple books, spend some time in prayer, but I would read two or three chapters of the New Testament every single day, every Monday to Friday, and I would circle every time I saw a verse that was counseling, hoping in heaven. So not just talking about heaven, every time the New Testament would reference some kind of counsel about the hope of heaven in some situation, I would circle a verse every time all the way through till I got to the end. And here's what I found. By the end of my couple months down there in Florida, circling those verses, 387 verses that were using the hope of heaven to counsel some situation that we were reading about in the New Testament. Now, I want you to just kind of relegate that with, ju with just under 8,000 verses in the New Testament. And by the way, that 387 verses, I did not include the book of Revelation because I figured that would skew the numbers. So just under 8,000 verses in the New Testament, those 387 verses make up almost make up, yeah, almost about 5% of the New Testament's use. Almost 5% of the New Testament are using a future hope that Christians have in heaven in order to compel obedience in the present. Future glory, motivating present obedience. And so I wonder, at least I know this for myself and for my church, how much of our preaching, how much of our teaching, how much of our singing emphasizes what the Bible seems to emphasize about a hope in heaven. 
In a recent journal, one brother took the same time, what took the time to compare the most commonly sung hymns, you'll sisters appreciate this, commonly sung hymns between 1737 and 1960 in that era, and they compared it to the time of 2000 to 2015. They compared the hymns. What kinds of things are being talked about? And this brother found there was one striking difference between those time periods as to what they were singing about. He said the singing about heaven all but disappeared in 2000 to 2015, where it was a common thing in those previous years of 1737 to 1960. And of course, we think about this, right? How many times have we maybe heard a sermon about heaven? How many times have we counseled heaven, read a book on heaven, prayed heaven, something like that? And maybe some of you I trust are doing that, have done that. But my suspicion is for a lot of us, the answer is we don't think much about heaven. We don't counsel heaven, evangelize heaven, pray heaven. And so we have to ask ourselves, is our Christianity reflecting its great hope, its great destiny? Are we as citizens of heaven that are in Christ, are we hoping in our home? Are we building or are we building up treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you guys a little bit of the fruit of that study from that sabbatical. And so in particular, I want to help us see what this hoping in heaven does to fuel the work of missions and evangelism and and then also if you don't have this hope how it distracts and destroys missions that's what we're going to see and we're going to see that from second timothy chapter four. Second timothy chapter four verses nine to eighteen here it goes this is paul writing to timothy he says in verse nine do your best to come to me soon for demas in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. He's probably talking about Bible there. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Two points this morning. Here's the first. Love for this present world distracts and destroys mission. Love for this present world distracts and destroys mission. Now we read uh, that first line there in verse 10. We read that first line about Demas with great perplexion, don't we? And some sadness. Because Demas is no stranger to missions. Right? We know from Colossians 4.14 and Philippians 1.24 that he was a frequent traveling companion of Paul's on the mission field. And Paul, as you guys may recall, was a bit of a picky guy when it came to choosing traveling companions, wasn't he? Right? We have that instant of Paul and Barnabas disagreeing about Mark coming along with him in their missionary journey in Acts 15. And that disagreement was so sharp that Paul went one way while Barnabas and Mark went the other way which makes that account there in verse 11 of 2 Timothy 4 so sweet. 
since Paul says of Mark, right, he is useful to me for ministry. Isn't that encouraging? It kind of came back around. But nevertheless, Paul was picky in his kind of folks that he's traveled with. And so that should tell us something about Demas. He was probably no slouch on the mission field. He was probably useful at some point in missions. Maybe like if he was a member of Congress Heights Community Church, he would have been here every week probably, out in the neighborhood, knocking on doors, talking to folks. That was Demas. And yet what do we learn of him there in verse 10? Paul just has Luke with him. He's alone. Demas has left him. Why? Because of a love for this, note the emphasis, a love for this present world. Demas got distracted by the love of this present world. A love for the comforts of the here and now got him off the mission of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. His affection for today jeopardized his hope for tomorrow. And so Demas' love for this world derailed him of the hope of a better world. Because he was so focused on this. And we wonder why, right? Like what did it for Demas? We don't really know. text doesn't tell us exactly. Maybe he was tired of traveling, Demas was. Tired of moving every month or every couple years. Right? Maybe he wanted to establish a home there in Thessalonica. Get a wife and some kids and a nice picket fence. You know, maybe get a four-door chariot. You know, whatever the case may be. A season ticket at the Gladiators. What? Who knows? Right? We don't know. Costco membership. We don't know what it was. But maybe he was tired. Maybe, of, maybe he was tired of the constant threats on his life. We're going to see in a moment that Paul was rescued from a lion's mouth. And whether that is metaphorical or real, we don't know. But either way, it was bad, right? Demas was used to bad. He had to be. Paul's life was in constant threat of being taken. And so Demas, you wouldn't have to convince Demas that the gospel is a rock of offense. He knew it. He lived it. Maybe he was tired of it. And so maybe he wanted to get back to a place that wouldn't ask so much of him. Maybe he wanted to... Maybe he wanted some immediate comforts because he got tired of deferring them to heaven. And so Jesus and his kingdom became much less attractive than Demas and his own kingdom here on the earth. And this is a struggle for us as well, isn't it? I know it is for me. Does it, maybe this explains some of our feeble efforts to herald the gospel to a lost and dying world. Or even live in obedience at all because we love this present world. We like it. We want to fit in. We, want to have, we don't want to have struggle. We don't want to have difficulty. And so our love for the heavenly world is, could be faint because we love this world so much. The same world that, by the way, that Paul calls in Ephesians, this present darkness. How many of us are tempted to follow Demas back to Thessalonica? Rationalizing our lack of mission today by remembering maybe some time and usefulness in the past. And yet, do we not remember the words of the Apostle John that told us that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him? For all being honest, most of us were, would agree, we like this world, a lot of things about it. There's a lot of things that I, I like my wife, I don't like the thought of not being her husband in heaven, I don't like that thought, you know? I like to watch, as Josh said, I like to watch college football, I don't, whether it be football in heaven, I don't know, it's pretty violent, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I like about this world and so I don't like the thought of going to that world none of these things are wrong in and of themselves in fact a lot of them they're good until though they begin to compete for our deepest affections brothers and sisters Demas's life teaches us that we have to keep a vigilant eye upon our hearts 
We have to be careful to notice when our hearts long to drink in the delight of some vacation, some material possession, some experience, more than they long to be on that forever vacation in the New Jerusalem. It could be that those competing affections, it could be that it's diminishing your courage for faithful, fruitful gospel ministry. And so the call then, guys, for us this afternoon is not to abandon the mission. Don't leave Paul and Luke alone in chains. Don't leave your brothers and sisters alone to do the work. Don't leave the difficult pathway of peace in order to take up an easier way, which is a highway to hell. Be reminded that there's a better home than this present world. Jesus said it himself, right? Believe, right? Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I was going to prepare a place. Would I not have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, Christian, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be with me also. Isn't that where we want to be? With him. In his house. And if there's any here this morning, I don't know everybody here, but if there are any here that are not following Christ, I wonder, are you under the impression that in some ways there's something that you can find or get that will lead you to unending satisfaction in this world? Because if it is, you should know that's not true. Just name one person, if it is, just name one person that's found that treasure. Nobody has found it. The greatest, most wealthy, most famous, or often sometimes the most unhappy people on planet Earth. A job, a relationship, a bank account, these things will never complete you. God made you for Himself, friend, and until you are conformed to Him, you will never know true love, the kind of true love that you were made to live for. Friend, don't follow Demas. Follow Jesus. Come home. Understand that your sin separates yourself from Him. You were made for Him. And so Jesus died for that sin, paid for that sin, assuage the wrath of God on your behalf if you would but repent and trust in Him. He'll bring you home. That's the love you were made to experience as a true and final love. He is our true and final home. Turn away, friend, from the lies of the world and follow the truth of Him who is a king of a better world. Don't follow Demas and love this present world. Such a love will never actually satisfy you and at the same time it assaults the ministry and kingship of Christ. And likewise, Christian, do not follow Demas. The love of the present world is a lie. It makes promises that it can never keep. It cannot give you life, but only death in the end. And so don't make shipwreck of your faith, Christian, and have a faith in this present world, but instead trust the one to come. It is not uncommon, as we have seen for this, uh, as we have seen in my own church, our church is, uh, how old is it now, Whitney? 13 years, coming up on 13, no, been here 13, 12 years old. And Whitney, uh, Whitney and I have seen this. We've seen almost as many people deny the faith as we have be excommunicated. It's hard. Like Demas, they walk away. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened to this church, it's going to happen. How do we explain that, right? Other than to know that like Demas, they loved Jesus for the wrong reasons. Don't be like Demas but follow Jesus. Or to say it the opposite way, second point. The hope of heaven births confidence and perseverance in the mission. Love for this present world distracts and destroys mission. 
Hope in heaven births confidence and perseverance in the mission. Take a look at verse 14. You'll notice there's this other guy named Alexander who apparently had a love for this present world as well, right? He, he did great harm to Paul, possibly maybe contributing to Demas' decision to leave. But look at verse 16. Paul shares the story of a particular defense that led to no one standing by him. Guys, living on mission for God is sometimes a lonely place to be. And that's where we, it's why we need confidence and courage for perseverance in that mission, why we need strength from God. And that's what the Lord gave Paul. Take a look at verse 17. The Lord gave him strength, though he was alone. Verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, it says. And isn't that what Jesus promised us right in the Great Commission? I'll be with you to the end of the age. And why? We ask why. Why does Jesus need to be with us and strengthen us? Why? Why does Jesus promise to be with us? Why is the Lord with Paul and strengthening him? Look at verse 17. Why is he with him, strengthening him in those difficult days when he's abandoned? Verse 17. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. There's the mission. I said that Demas deviated from the mission because of a love for this present world, and yet here we see Paul on mission. And what's the mission? Well, you can look at verse 15. I, I was enjoying this as my study in this in advance of this afternoon. It's, this message is, notice, it's our message. I love that. It's not just Restoration Church's message. It's not even just Congress High Community Church's message. This is the message of all our brothers and sisters all over the globe, pushing it out for the glory of Christ. But what is that message? He strengthened us so that message would be fully proclaimed. What's the message? The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I've already mentioned. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, dwelling on the earth, lives a sinless life dies a sinner's death on the cross, taking the sin of all those that trust him, burying, rose, defeated sin and death on the third day. All those that repent and believe they can have all of their sins forgiven. They have a home for them in heaven, and they can know that as hard as this life is, a home's going to come when all will be well. Death will be no more. No more tears. That day's coming. That day is coming. And that's the message that we get to proclaim to the nations. That's the one that God is strengthening us in His grace to go out and proclaim. And that's what Paul talks about there in verse 18. Heaven. Heaven. Eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 18. The Lord, notice the tense, future. The Lord will, future. He's in the hard place now. He's sitting in a cell. He's alone. Nobody's with him other than Luke. The Lord, future, will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. There's his hope. How's how's Paul going to keep going in this mission? Because he knows the Lord will rescue him from every evil deed and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. So what's the difference between Paul and Demas? Why is Paul able to endure such suffering while Demas doesn't? Well, first, because again, Paul was strengthened by the Lord. That's critical. Uh, That's what the Lord's though. That's what the Lord is doing though for, for Paul. What's Paul doing though for Paul? Where is Paul looking to overcome his love for the present world to endure such suffering and keep proclaiming the gospel? What is he thinking about to give him courage as he's sitting in a cell all by himself and everybody's left him? Verse 18. Paul believed the Lord would rescue him from every evil deed and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul was able to be tenacious for gospel ministry because of a future hope. The hope of Christ answering every evil deed in his return where he he will finally throw God's enemies into the lake of fire forever where justice will be 
served. Because as Whitney says, it's his idea. It's embodied in his nature. And also, where Paul, Paul will be safely brought to the shores of the Jordan River. Where he will walk into the kingdom of heaven and suffer no more. Where he will finally be with Christ and enjoy him forever. And see him face to face. Friends, it is only natural to consider such things that then be brought into glory as we were doing earlier this, just in this service, right? To Him be glory. Hallelujah. Right? When you think about those things, you can't help but say hallelujah. To Him be glory forever and ever. Isn't this a fascinating study? Paul and Demas, the difference is Paul is convinced back in verse 6 he's going to die for the gospel. And yet he also believes he's going to be rescued. <laughs> Isn't that great? Brought safely home to heaven. And this is the hope of every Christian. Beloved, this is our home. This is our pet message. This is our hope. The promise of heaven is not unique to Paul. It's secured for all of us that hope in Christ. Jesus paid for it. He secured it. It's sealed. Though we perish, yet we shall live. Paul had a greater love for heaven than he did this present world. And that promise drove him to be courageous to be perseverant for the sake of fully proclaiming the gospel. This is the difference between Paul and Demas. Demas wanted to be safe now. Paul wanted to be safe later. Right? Demas wanted to be, make this heaven. Paul wanted to be where Christ would make it heaven. Right? Demas wanted a home in Thessalonica. Paul wanted a home in the New Jerusalem. That was the body armor that gave confidence to have Paul step into the arena of the world and proclaim the gospel. And likewise, the hope, uh, that hope was the thing that kept his eye on uh, so that he would not depart from the mission and build his home in this present world. And let me show you this in one other place briefly. I think this will encourage you. Turn to the left in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. And you're going to see the same idea of a future hope of glory to motivate present obedience. To stay at it. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at that to the very end of verse 58. And you should know... Through 1 Corinthians 15, through all 1 Corinthians 15, he's meditating on the resurrection. The physical resurrection, right? Nathan Knight's body's jacked up in all kinds of ways, but I'm going to get a better one, right? That day's coming. My spirit, sanctified spirit, sanctified body comes together in the new heavens, new earth. He's meditating on all of that. And look how he comes out of it in verse 58. How does Paul conclude? What is he? he meditates on the resurrection. What's his conclusion to all of that? Verse 58. Therefore, in other words, in light of the coming resurrection, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that good? You see what he did? Same thing. Just like we see in 2 Timothy in over 300 and, what is it, 76 other places, right? The hope of what is to come, the hope of heaven, gives him supreme confidence to hold the line. And not just hold the line, but hoping in heaven fuels the abundance of the work. Keeps him on the mission of God. In other words, Paul is saying, like, what do we have to lose? Right? What are they going to do, kill us? Right? To live as Christ, to die is gain. I get a new body. I get to see Jesus. I enter a realm that is not the final state, but the intermediate state that leads to the complete restoration of the world. But by the way, that's why we named our church Restoration Church. I want to keep these realities in front of us all the time. We get to see Jesus. But maybe they won't kill us. 
Maybe they will mock us or ridicule us, fire us from our jobs. Who knows? Your labor, beloved, is not in vain, whatever it is. Not in vain. It's seen. It's known. Wasn't it Jesus that said, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see what this does to us, saints? You see what it does to us when we meditate on these things and think about these things? Since death has been defeated in the resurrection and since we have a better city, a heavenly city that is promised to us, then what do we have to lose? <laughs> what do we have to lose? We, we can step onto the battlefields of this world and love our neighbor generously without being held back by our greatest fears. We can advance towards our neighbor in love knowing that no matter what may come, we are one step closer to home where we will enter into our heavenly rest. With this kind of confidence, we can love so generously, so radically, so courageously that those who receive our love, they will know our citizenship is not here. It's not here. They will smell our clothes, see the glimmer in our eyes and say, where have you been? And with full hearts, full of the love of God, we will say with a smile, I have seen heaven. I have seen love. I've seen just a flicker of what the world will be. I've seen it in the life of the church, right? I saw love on a bloody cross and I saw heaven in an empty tomb where death no longer reigns. Where every tear is wiped away and there will be no darkness but only joy. And some, maybe some, may respond to us when we say that. And they say, well, how can I get in on that? Right? And then we will open our mouths and boldly declare of a salvation so great of their sin and the, and the Savior's overcoming that sin. And so, beloved, let's dig in, right? Let's dig in. Let's preach. Let's pray. Let's sing heaven so that our hearts will long to get home and see the King of the kingdom and enjoy Him forever. The more that we do that, the more our spines will be filled with steel and our faces will be like flint. Our hearts will be like flesh with love for God and neighbor. And don't believe that garbage right, that would say that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. If that's true, Paul was no earthly good. Be so heavenly minded that you will be of earthly good. They go together. You have to. And this was the refrain of the early church, beloved. Right? And somewhere along the way, we lost it. We lost it because we have become more like demons than we might like to admit. We are tar far too prone to love this present world. But in the, it didn't used to be that way, guys. And the work of confident missions and evangelism work. From the beginning, it was not so. Let's just review just a little bit of church history, shall we? Abraham was able, Hebrews 11 tells us, was able to hold a knife over his son because he believed he would be resurrected. That's what Hebrews 11 teaches us. By faith, Hebrews 11 tells us, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to follow Demas down to Thessalonica and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of the world. Moses considered the reproach of Christ, it says, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why, author of Hebrews? Because he was looking to his reward. <laughs> what gave Stephen the courage to take stone after stone to his face? What took it? What was it? Was it not his gaze into the throne room of heaven? And what Acts 7 tells us? He said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then Paul, again, to the church at Philippi, as if we haven't heard enough from him, he tells them that the enemies of the cross have an end of destruction because their minds are set on earthly things, he says. But then he transitions, he tells the church at Philippi, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. 
Colossians 3, right? In motivating, in motivating the church at Colossae to live a holy life, he says, Paul says, he said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then think about Peter's words to the brothers and sisters who suffered under persecution. He said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is what we are in the world, sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When heaven comes to earth. Why would God even give us the book of Revelation? But to give us a hope to face the fray of difficulty as we hold out a hope of heaven in this world. And of course, how could we not remember Jesus Christ? What was his motivation to secure our salvation? What was it that had him to... to endure, right, all of those whippings and all of those beatings and the crown of thorns on his head. What was it? Well, Hebrews tells us, doesn't he? For the joy set where? Before him, in front of him, right? What joy was set in front of him, that joy of the restoration of all things, when his father would have a people that would be fully entranced with his glory. People that would be, have a full amount of righteousness, having had Jesus' righteousness uh, uh, given to them by faith. By grace through faith. A world, a city that was fully right and fully true where Christ receives all the glory that he is due and all those that are apart from him do not have a home there. That joy set before him. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is replete with calls to hope in heaven so that you can faithfully engage the mission of God today. Too often we don't take the time to see them. I fear because so many of us are tempted to follow Demas back to Thessalonica. And leave Paul and Luke alone in the mission. Beloved, we are sojourners. We are exiles in this world. Do not build your treasures up on earth where rust and moth destroy, where thieves break in and steal. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Lay yourselves up for yourselves up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, y'all know this one, there your heart will be also. And the more you and I fully do that, the more courage I think we will have to lean into the mission of God, to fully proclaim the gospel to the nations, to Congress Heights community. The more that we do that, the more we think about the glory of Christ, the more we think about the hope of heaven, the more courage you will have to get out into this neighborhood and preach the gospel and call people in, no matter what they may say of you. And if we do that, then God would be pleased, you will be encouraged, though the work will be hard. Though you may even feel alone at times. And so what's that call? The call then is to sing heaven. Right? The call is to pray heaven. The call is to read about heaven and the word. To teach about heaven's realities. Meditating on the joys of heaven. Considering the sight of heaven. The greatest sight of all. To see Jesus. Can you all imagine what that's going to be like? When we get to finally see Christ. The one that paid for my sin. And overcame it and gave me a home. One day we will see him and live with him. Y'all come to my neck of the woods. I'm going to be around wherever he is. That's where I'm going to be. <laughs> and as our, citizen, as our knowledge of our citizenship in heaven digs deeper in here in the earth, the more that we understand that the church is supposed to be a suburb of heaven in the country of earth, the more that we understand that, the more courage we will have, perseverance we will have to stay at the work. And so church, Christ is coming. He is bringing with him justice that will roll. 
He is also bringing with him a world restored where the air will be sweeter than honey and the sky will never know a shade of gray and every tear will be wiped away and death will be dead. And we will finally on that day see the one of whom our soul loves, the captain of our love, our, la- our Savior, Jesus Christ. Trust that Jesus is coming. Trust that you have a home in heaven. If you do not know Jesus, repent, follow him so that you can have a place there with him. And then, in light of all of that hope, beloved, be steadfast. That's my call to your church this morning, to Congress Heights Committee. That's my call. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Abound in the work, fully proclaiming the gospel to the nations. And know your labors, Congress Heights Community Church. It is not in vain. Keep going. Trust Jesus. And soon enough, we will all be home together, enjoying Jesus and remembering such a great gospel. But until then, And we find ourselves at work, not leaving Paul and Luke alone, not following Demas, but instead following Jesus, knowing a day will come when we will cross the Jordan and be home forever. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we do love this present world. Have mercy on us. We praise You, God, that there is more grace in You than there is sin in us. Thank You that in Christ all of our sins can be forgiven. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways we love this present world. And I pray, God, I pray for myself, I pray for the saints here, Lord, that we would be a people that know that we will one day cross into that heavenly world. That we will fully embrace our citizenship of heaven so that we would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it's going to be all worth it. Give us a vision of heaven that we would be at work in the earth for your glory and our neighbor's good, we ask in Jesus' name.